Would you ever eat food out of a grocery store dumpster? Oh, um, free. Okay. Like what kind of assurances do we have here that this is like edible and not disgusting and dead? It's in a grocery store dumpster. It came in a grocery store. Okay. But so it's pretty good. It was ready to sell like eight hours ago. I don't know. Like I totally would. And given the correct circumstances, I frequently buy next to expired foods like meats. This is what I'm saying. I cook them that night, but you know, you know, you know that little 30% sticker off. That's it. Right. Get, get it in you. After that, after the 30% sticker, they get a new sticker that just says trash. And that one means 100% off. That's 100% that's off. Um, never rat anyone out for stealing from grocery stores because grocery stores are evil corporations that are profiting off of us in an infinite cycle. You it's, gotta have food. It's not stealing if it's out of a dumpster. Interesting. I probably would eat out of a dumpster given the right circumstance. Welcome to Who Killed the Radio Star. My oh. name is Steve, and with me, this guy, his name is Tyler. Oh, we're recording. Okay, then. <laughs> All right. Hey, how's it going, guys? I'm back on the wagon. Wait. I'm back off the wagon. I we're, fell off the wagon. Yeah, we've, uh, we've lubed him up a little bit. I lubed yeah. him up. You may have noticed the last few episodes may have been a, a little less uh, spicy, a little more coherent. <laughs> it's because I haven't been drinking for a month. And uh, we decided to dip into the sauce a little bit. Look, it was dry January. It's not yeah, January anymore. It was kind of that. I'm, I'm quitting smoking. I'm probably no. Probably, we're quit now. I probably talked about this. We have this talked about it. Yeah. We but, talked about it. You know, I the reason I'm not drinking still is still going strong. Not smoking. Listeners out there who are who are doing this with us, because I'm sure there's <laughs> yeah. some. Look, we're staying strong. You guys got to stay strong. Hashtag Who killed the alcohol month? Who killed the cigarette addiction? Right? You did. These guys right here. We did. These guys right here. All of us. In the alcohol addict. Well, you didn't kill it. We should get some cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) Today we're going to talk about Charles Manson. Oh, Charles Manson. I thought we were talking about the Millennium Falcon. We could talk about that too. We could easily do an hour on the Falcon. Oh, we could do we could do a great hour on the Falcon. Just on the the revisions between the series. I guess yeah, it's briefly in the prequel series. For a hot For second. For like a hot second, you can see it. It's in that massive ship. Look, I don't think the Millennium Falcon has anything to do with the Beach Boys, right? Because not only are we talking about Charles Manson today, we are talking about Charles Manson and the Beach Boys connection. I'm picking up some good vibrations from this show. Well, it... wait. <laughs> no, it's about Charles Manson. Okay, I'm not picking up any sort of vibe whatsoever. No, it's horrific, greasy, dumpster vibrations. Man, horrific, horrific and greasy is a very good way to describe Charles Manson and his, his little his little group of friends. Hey, what are you talking about, man? What were they called? The Midnight Marauders? <laughs> we got the loose goose. They're called they got they got they got goose head, right? <laughs> they got a bottle of goose head. We're not here to talk about Charles Manson. And, you ever have a goose head? And he, you ever had a fucking goose head, man? You take you take a moose head beer. You, you fill. You, you drink half of it. You fill the rest up with gray, gray goose, goose, and then you just take it straight to the fucking dome. Put it in a funnel. <laughs> we're not gonna. We're not gonna bore you with the same old Charles Manson story you've heard time after time after time. Nope. We're gonna give you the non-share version. <laughs> we're talking today about Dennis Wilson. The drummer of the Beach Boys, mm-hmm. and how him and Charlie Manson sparked up a unique, unexpected friendship. It really was touching in a way. Yeah, it wasn't. And I don't even know if friendship is the word. Well, yeah, like more of like an <laughs> enabling acquaintance. I got a couple of those. <laughs> so the Beach Boys, founded in 1961, 
Oh, uh, man. I thought you were going to say nine, and I was going to go nice. <laughs> nice. Well, the, the Manson murders are in 1969. Nice. Wait. God damn it. You keep fucking driving me right up to the cliff and letting me drop off. Look, you know you know what we're doing here. All right. The Beach Boys are one of the biggest like music families. They are comprised of three brothers, Brian, the Carl. One, the hot one. <laughs> yeah. Who else? Uh, Gary, <laughs> he's not in the band. He's actually their manager. Uh, there's Justin. He's like a kind of he's kind of like an adopted brother. He's the guy who gave them all their got them all the acid. I think like he was nope, the drug no, man. No, look, that was Charles Manson. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> Comprised of brothers Brian Wilson, Dennis Wilson, Carl Wilson, their cousin Mike Love, and their friend Al Jardine. Later to include Bruce Johnson as well. Okay, all right. It started at the at the top with them. I mean, it, it goes to the top. Their father, Murray Wilson, was also their manager. And also, notorious, abusive piece of shit. Oh, I thought that was Gary. I got him mixed up. So the Beach Boys is a very... Um, how abusive? Are we talking physical, mental? Oh, I will, I'll... Oh. Both. Oh, both. Boy. And we will, I will Ooh. fill you in just like they filled in a certain something oh, of no. their fathers. Wait. Oh, okay, wait. Okay. That sounds way worse than it is. Oh, man. I it's actually... It's, a whole other direction. No, it's actually his eye hole. Well, look, it, that made it sound even worse. That, okay, wait a minute. We'll get there. <laughs> Beach Boys are a big black, just a black hole for me. I don't know anything about the Beach Boys. You know, you don't know a lot about the Beach Boys, but even people who don't know a lot about the Beach Boys still know the Beach Boys. Yeah. You know a lot of the songs. You know enough to know at least some of the current, some of the members' current statuses in life, which are, you know, a little grim, but <laughs> not, not great. For being a band that is this sort of happy California surf music, there is a very dark, and sad history there behind these happy Californian songs. Hmm, interesting. Uh, and it starts with their father. He Murray Wilson was uh, an abusive piece of shit by all accounts. Detailed in Brian Wilson's book, I Am Brian Wilson, a memoir. He uh, spoke of the abuse at his father's hands and that he actually became deaf in one ear from getting hit with a lead pipe at it from his father's hands when he was only three years old. Okay, all right. That's pretty bad. A lead pipe. Yeah, apparently, and apparently he did this to all three of the brothers. Uh, two by fours were used sometimes. Why is this man in, like pro weapon? Why is it always a weapon? It's look, it was California. <laughs> okay, fair enough. No, that makes sense. Uh, he beat the shit out of all three boys, and uh, Brian and and Carl always took it. Dennis was the only one who ever fought back by by Brian's account. Okay. So as we said, the psychological abuse was there too um, when they were kids. Murray would pull out his glass eye and make them stare into the gaping abyss of his eye hole. Oh, that sounds... That reminds me of a book I read when Look I was at this. too young. Look at it! Look at it! This is your future. Look at it! This is your past! Jesus Christ, that is spooky. It's fucked up. Imagine that as, as a kid. So to answer my previous question, both physically and emotional. Big time. And Brian's on record saying, you know, what ultimately helped him escape this sort of torture at his father's hands was the beach boys but not at first because he became their manager treated them like shit as their manager for the first six years of their career they started in 1961 super cool he put them down constantly told them they were failures constantly no matter how many hit songs they would write they'd never be worth anything is actually it's actually unreal i like, just imagined like you know just so like a stereotypical movie where he's like yeah gotta be, you guys are nothing I don't care how many number one hits you have. Surfing USA. 
good, good You think that's real vibrations. music? I wonder, what kind, I wonder what kind of music he was into, you know? If he just, like, resented their rock and roll sound. Like, There's I, not even a slide whistle in this. It made him a lot of money. Where's the washboard? It made him a lot of money. Back the, in my day, there was a washboard. The Beach Boys came out strong when they when they popped out on the scene and had hits after hits but the british invasion happened a few years after and it quickly drowned things out the beatles were on the scene and suddenly the beach boys you know they weren't the hot young boys from the beach anymore because we had hot young boys from liverpool Ooh, we look weird we have weird haircuts <laughs> we look strange and foreign to you american beauties some may say through uh, even some sort of miracle, Tyler. Mm. Good Vibrations, released in 1966, sort of brought the band back to the number one band in the world. Ooh. Which is kind of crazy that song came out well, six I, years ago. I know that, like, that, that's my, <laughs> my entire like context for the Beach Boys, other than their music, is just like being a pretty big Beatles dude. So the Beach Boys are just like on the peripheral of a lot of stories that are told. And I know that they are like fairly like tight. Like, uh, the media tried to pitch them against each other and stuff and be no. like, you know, this that, side and that side. But. You know, that is, I don't know how true that is. They, they, I don't know how much of the media is involved there because we'll get into it right now. But I mean, later in their career, there's a lot of tumultuousness between them. The Mike, they, they sue each other a lot. Mike Love is, uh, at a certain point, I think this is in the 90s, Brian Wilson, he, he, even earlier than this, developed a, uh, a, a schizoaffected disorder. Oh so I don't think it's quite schizophrenia, but it's it's, it's on the yeah, spectrum. Yeah, yeah. And in the 90s, he was put under conservatorship of his psychotherapist. Oh, topical. And yada, 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 this leads to Mike Love being left out of some royalties and claiming that he wrote certain songs that he's not being credited or paid for. He sued him. Brian sued him as well. There, there's a lot of back and forth No, but like inner, inner Beach Boys. Tumultu- tumultuosity, <laughs> tumultuousness within the Beach Boys. I was just talking about the Beatles and the Beach Boys. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Yeah. No, I don't think, think, I think they were cool. No, yeah, the media was talking about them. No, I know that, like, I kind of know that the Beach Boys are fucked. <laughs> kind of, like, hate each other. I mean, a lot of bands from that era didn't succeed in staying tight, did they? Pink yeah. Floyd's a well, fucking Beach, mess. Yeah, and Beach Boys, is a lot of them are dead. Dennis Beach Wilson, Boys, who dead. we're going to speak a lot about today, is, he's gone. Carl Wilson is gone. Mike Love and Brian Wilson still with us today, although Brian does have his He's disorder. Not and I mean, all of them are, they're really old. They're really old. They're in their 80s. Same as my parents. So that's a fun reminder that's for me. That's spooky. Jesus. So your parents are just bopping the fucking Beach Boys. My mom especially was. My mom has seen the joke growing up all the time was, I'm going to see the Beach Boy. I'm going to see the Beach Boy. And it's like, she always joked about how there's only one left. And, oh, they're old. But it's like, Mom, like, Dennis Wilson died on an alcohol-fueled like bender and drowned in a lake searching for his ex-wife's belongings that he'd thrown in there the year prior. Spoilers for the end of the episode. Incredible. But, like, my mom was still like, I'm going to see the Beach Boy. And, you know, she had a lot of fun. Picking up good vibrations from, yeah. the, from that Beach Boy. And it was probably Mike Love, you know, maybe uh, Brian Wilson. I don't know. I don't. I'm pretty sure their contract says that they just one Beach Boy needs to show up. I have heard that before to be classified as the Beach Boys. Yeah, that that yeah, that their contract always says at least one will be there. Okay. So I, you know, I don't know. And and we've to anyone who's seen them recently and seen Brian Wilson perform recently, let's just say there might be a little bit of a Millie Vanilli situation going on there. <laughs> yeah. Allegedly, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Uh, 
you know, really look at it. Look at what you're seeing. So what we're going to talk about Dennis Wilson and Charles Manson, and we're going to jump right to 1968 because that's where this all kicks off. Beach Boys have been around for seven years. They've sort of come and gone and then come again. Hell yeah. At this point, Dennis meets Charles Manson. So this is a point of free love and everyone's helping each other out. And this is like the, the peak of the hippie movement. They're right? always talking about the summer of 68. <laughs> the, the summer of 68 is big. But it is though, because the summer of 69 was so big. The summer of 68. That's where the real ones were. That's where the conception happened right. of 69. That's where right? the real people. The OGs. It's, man, in like six months, there's going to be like one number facing one way and another number facing the opposite way. It's going to look like a dick. Going to a mouth and a mouth going dick 69. They yeah. knew they knew exactly blah, what was blah, going blah, on. Blah. They knew exactly what was going on. In the spring of 1968, Dennis Wilson is driving around through Malibu. Good vibrations. Ooh, I'm still singing this song for some reason. He ends up picking up two women by the name of Patricia Krenwinkel. Ooh, I like that name. It's an important name if you know this story. And Ella Joe Bailey. Oh, that right? sounds like a Manson family member right there. These are two of the Manson family members. These Nailed are three pointer. The, these are so Manson had his whole little harem of uh, women that he had rallied up through some manner or another. Sort and of strange witchcraft because he, he looks fucked. He yeah, he was a, a guru to them of sorts. He had them diving in dumpsters. They were all diving in dumpsters. God, eating all that garbage. Hey, it's free, free food, man. That's yeah. That's how the capitalists get you. Yeah, and you know it goes on and on. They they turn Spawn Ranch into their whole cult headquarters of cult of sorts, of course, mm-hmm. right? And this is the whole thing. Everyone with Charles Manson, they're like, well, he's not a serial killer, you know. It's not really a cult, and it's like it's all semantics, man. Yeah, I mean they're right, but it, you're right. Well, it's just like this is the thing with Manson is that we know what we know, right? What do we not know? Everyone has skeletons. And what do Manson skeletons look like? I'll tell you, they're probably covered in piss and baloney. <laughs> and they're probably spooky as shit. <laughs> you know those skeletons dancing around in October? No, no, I say. Not like those skeletons. <laughs> Much scarier. They got worms coming out of the eyes, like fucking Murray Murray Wilson. <laughs> goddamn words coming out of those eye sockets. Well, we're a little all over the place here with the story, but later on, you know, after Dennis and Charlie Manson developed this friendship. Mike Love has now gone on record saying that Dennis came to him and told him that he witnessed Man- Charlie Manson murder, in, in Mike Love's words, murder a black cat and stuff him down a well. His words, his exact words are, blew him in half with an M16. Yeah. Stuffed him down a well. He's, he later goes on to say that a black cat is a, is a black man. I, I, Mike Love has said that Dennis never really said this to anyone. I don't know if it was just Mike he told or... If it was maybe maybe it's maybe his lips slipped a few other times and he told a few other people I don't know but no one really ever really got the story. Uh, Mike Love revealed it in his book Good Vibrations years and years after Dennis's death. It's just too on the nose for me. <laughs> well, it's called Good Vibrations. My life as a Beach Boy. Yeah, that's just too on the nose for me. <laughs> it's about it's a lot. It's full. It's filled to the brim with bad vibrations. I feel like I feel like that's not his pitch. That's an editor's pitch. It's like, we got to call it Good Vibrations. It's like, did you read the source material? I don't think we should call it Good Vibrations. There's a lot of bad vibrations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like people will be walking walking past the chapters and see one of those tables. It's like filled to the brim with the bestsellers. And there's going to be 75,000 fucking books that say Good Vibrations. <laughs> people are going to love it. They're going to go, I, I want to read that. I love the Beach Boys. Oh, this will be a good read. Good Vibrations. This will be nice and lighthearted. I've been to Kokomo. <laughs> 
Kokomo doesn't really exist. It does exist. It did for a brief period of time. But it's they, in Indiana. They, they <laughs> did they really? Yeah. They did name an island for a brief period of time, um, Kokomo. Kokomo. And then I think it got named to uh, Lost. Renamed to the island from Lost in the 2000s. <laughs> yeah, they just renamed that island, whatever's in the zeitgeist, just to try to drive tourism. You can actually see Matthew Fox there. He's on that island. He has a he's a permanent residency there, and he gives full guided Lost tours. On he does the not look good. He's like uh, emaciated, and it's like he's balding, but he, he doesn't have a razor, so his hair's growing out. So he kind of's got that like you know fucking uh, Christopher. Uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. He's got the Christopher <laughs> Lloyd look going on. Just a little less white. But the Kokomo bar is still there and you get a free cocktail with your tour. Yeah. And they would just play that song all day on a loop. All day. It's It really ties in the whole lost feeling to it as well because you really feel like you're being tortured by like some sort of, uh, you know, pseudoscience company. You know what's funny is that that Kokomo song kind of did the same thing that Good Vibrations did for the Beach Boys again, but it did it in the 90s and brought popped them back into relevancy. And it wasn't even an original, well, it is an original song, but it wasn't made for an original album. It was made for the uh, the Tom Cruise movie Cocktail. Really? Yeah. Did not know that. I'm pretty sure it was Cocktail. I, I, I feel like Cocktail is the only one that really fits. Yeah. Or isn't there that, there's another movie where he's, he's bartending. No, not bartending. Minority Report. Minority Report, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that song was actually made for Minority Report. Just for that one dream sequence. So on that fateful day in 1968, Dennis had picked up Patricia and Ella gave him a lift. A little bit later, a few days, week later, Dennis found these women hitchhiking again and picked them up because this is what they did. He must be right? like on his commute. He's just he's just doing his drive, right? Mm-hmm. He's just doing his drive. Like he's going down to CVS and he's like picking up some smokes. He's rich. He's living in some fucking Hollywood Hills or, or in the hills of LA. Yeah, Malibu. Is that where it was? Yeah. I just completely missed it. <laughs> Sick. Yeah, he's living in Malibu and he's just, you know, going back and forth to LA to record or whatever, see people and they're just still on that same route. Well, and these are two young hippie girls around his age. He's in the Beach Boys. And, uh, you know, Dennis is, as much as the Beach Boys are all chaotic in their own rights, Dennis was the black sheep. He was the one who struggled a lot. Well, I shouldn't say the most. But he did struggle a lot with addiction. So did other members, Brian Wilson famously. Dennis was immediately the one who dove into the rock star lifestyle. I mean, he became friends. He befriended Charlie Manson. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> it's kind of right there. Time. So picking these women up, the second time he actually takes them back to his home on Sunset Boulevard, where the girls start telling them about their own personal guru that goes by the name of Manson. Dennis is, you know, a little interested in meeting them. Uh, of course, they're really, you know, they're really pumping him up. So why? Of course, he's gonna. He's like, cool. I want to meet this guy. I'm in the beach. I'm in the fucking Beach Boys. But he's he, he had to run off and uh, didn't get to meet them at this day. He had to head back to the recording studio. It wasn't long after this though that Manson just showed up at Dennis's doorstep. Hey, how's it going? Hey, man, there you want to meet me? Hey, how's it going? Got any baloney in there? Charles Manson. <laughs> You got a dumpster? <laughs> you got a dumpster? That's a pretty big house, man. You got a dumpster filled with produce? Allegedly, Manson, one of the first things Manson said to Dennis was, uh, do I look like I'm going to hurt you, brother? No, like, maybe not, but like, weird question, bro. <laughs> like, now I'm scared. And then he kissed his feet. 
Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. Okay. So maybe not the most. Sta- I guess it is the '60s in LA, so I'll give it to them. Like maybe not the weirdest thing you could do at that point. And you know, shortly after that, they hit it off and they became great friends, best friends. <laughs> this guy's fucking awesome. I love this guy. This is Charlie. He's gonna play a guitar on the new album. You know, I could just picture that conversation, like him showing up the recording studio. I mean, that happened. Charlie, that absolutely uh, happened. He plays tambourine. Um, he's really great. He's got some thoughts too. He's uh, got some opinions on that Helter Skelter now, song that are kind of weird. Now, it is important to say that Charlie could play guitar to an extent, and he did write songs. I do that, know about his, like, musical history. Yeah, we've listened to Garbage Dump, and, you know, he, he's on Spotify. He put he put music out. He's on Spotify. <laughs> he, I mean, we are too, so just to be fair. Just to be fair. We are, we are also on Spotify, <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> you know, his music is nothing impressive but by 1968 hippie standards i mean you know yeah it's all right i mean beach boys technically stole one of his songs so Ooh, wow Ooh, okay all yeah. right they became great friends and i mean this is mainly because manson had like a bunch of weed and like <laughs> a bunch of like hot 20 something girls I mean, hanging really, around him so is what this more like, do you need to get with the beach boys? yeah at that point it's just you know it is what it is we have a quote here from a from diane lake a former manson family member she said Dennis and Manson hit it off right away, which is not surprising given Manson's skills at integrating himself with strangers. Dennis, in no rush to leave, hung out for a while, smoked some pop with Manson, and listened to a bit of Manson's music. It was obvious from the start that Dennis liked the girls and admired Manson's harem. We sat at Manson's feet and looked at him lovingly as he sang and played guitar. We made sure Dennis saw how much we idolized Manson. We knew that was our job, without Manson even having to tell us. Man, this guy sounds, like, so cool. I would totally be his friend. <laughs> and that was it, is that he did have this fucking little army. Yeah, like, you can just picture it, you know? It's a very vivid description of the scenario. <laughs> just, like, him sitting there playing, like, half-okay guitar, and just all of them just hanging off Feeding of them. them fucking, hey, you want some more Kool-Aid? And it's just, <laughs> like, you can see 19 hits of acid floating <laughs> in it. <laughs> hey, you want some garbage grapes? <laughs> Dennis and Manson grew to like each other. So much that as the summer wore on, Dennis even allowed Manson and the family to to move in with him into his sun, Sunset Boulevard house. Oh, boy. Dennis, what are you doing, you menace? Now, whether or not that discussion ever actually happened, and if, like, I, it's well, hard like, to say. Yeah, one of those things, like, it slowly happened, like, yeah, all of a sudden. Yeah, because there's a few different accounts. Like, at one point, like, one account, Mike Love says that they got back a tour and Man- they got back from tour in Manson and everyone was just living there. Hey, man, you guys are back? Whoa. Time flies. I, I did not think you were going to be back by now. Jeez, man. Uh, okay, well, you want some food? Do you bring anything? <laughs> bring bologna? I don't know why I'm fixed on the bologna, but... I got some uh, I got some romaine down the street. <laughs> this is a little this wet. This is fresh, man. This is like... It's wet. It's yeah, wet. It's yeah. wet. And it's like some parts are like darker than others. It's like, dumpster fresh. It's really good. We washed it. <laughs> we used salt water. It's great. It's kind of like... Uh, it's kind of like kimchi. As a... Uh, as out there as Manson was, the one thing that him and Dennis did actually genuinely have in common was their taste in music. They, they loved the, the beach folk songs, right? The 1960s beach folk, if, that, if <laughs> that's a real thing. Yeah, you know, it's a real thing. And Manson actually had a natural talent for songwriting. And, and he loved these California folk songs as well. Again, you can he hear... He was picking up good vibrations. Good vibrations. It was a natural occurrence that, that that Manson would play music for the family. For all members of the Manson fam- family, they would sit down and admire him after he would give his little fucking nonsense 
speeches and then play songs while they would all sit at his feet, juiced on acid, just eating juice. dirty old dumpster bananas. But Dennis really took to Manson's music, and he, he was like, it's pretty good. He liked it. Yeah, it's not bad. Hey, it makes all those ladies hang off you, too. I kind of like this jam. Manson was very pushy with Dennis and was like, hey, man, you got to introduce me to like some of your friends, man. I know you got friends. I want to meet him. And Dennis actually did introduce him to, uh, he went out of his way to introduce him to producers and other musicians, any higher ups in Hollywood God, that they would like, bump into like, together. Fucking feel that awkwardness, you know, of like this guy is super famous and you're beholden to and he shows up with Charles Manson and he's like, hey, this is my buddy. You, you, you know, you should really talk to him. He's got a lot of good ideas. <laughs> and you got this greasy ass fucking Charlie, Charlie Manson just going nuts. Talking real fast, all on acid, <laughs> inappropriate times and places. Look, man, I got a new idea about a song, right? This is called it's about a garbage dump, man, right? I guess garbage dump's got everything you need, man. This is like, it's, it's also like a woman, right? Mm, you fall in love with it, right? It's like a garbage dump is a woman. You go in there and you get a ham sandwich. Mm. Everybody's playing music with instruments. I got a new idea. <laughs> you're going to play this kind of chanting music, and then you're up. It's up to you to put the music in your head, man, while you listen to the lyrics that I'm putting down. Dennis even went so far to book studio time for Manson at the Beach Boys home studio owned and ran by his brother, Brian Wilson. Oh, boy. One day, Manson had a fateful meeting with a man named Terry Melcher. Terry Melcher was a producer, music producer based out of Beverly Hills in the 60s. In fact, he was one of them that became known for creating the surf style California sound that was prominent during that time period. Manson was in the car with Dennis and Terry when Dennis dropped him off at his house located at 150 Cielo. Cielo Drive is what we're going to go with, Beverly Hills, California. So this home was owned by Melcher, Terry Melcher, and his girlfriend, and his friends Candace Bergen Ooh. and Mark Lindsay. Candace Bergen. I'm sure there's going to be tons of mispronunciations of no, these names. No, Candace so. Bergen, that's fucking, isn't that Murphy Brown? There you go. <laughs> you guys remember Murphy Brown? How about them? Is Murphy Brown are like Hogan's heroes? <laughs> Where like we are uh, like there are people our age who like I, I kind of like I kind of know what Murphy Brown is. I I then, fucking like, know who Hogan's Heroes is man. I know we do, but like we like we, you know that's Hogan. I'm hoping I'm hoping Murphy Brown is a previous generation's Hogan's Heroes, where they're like, oh, I'm aware that there was a show called Murphy Brown, but I don't really Never know. Watched it. Yeah, exactly. I wonder is that Candace Encyclopedia? Isn't that Candace Bergman? I gotta, gotta check it. Up. I gotta look this up. Murphy. <laughs> Brown. I just remember Murphy Brown being that show that would pop on while you're like waiting for The Simpsons to come on, and you're like Murphy Brown. I don't want to watch Murphy Brown. Is that Ellen? Nope. That's Candace Bergen. Toot toot. I got it right. Nice. Hey, well, the brain looks like she doesn't get murdered in the story. She makes it out. She she makes Murphy Brown. Uh, Dennis was going. You know, Dennis became a sort of Jim Jom. He he became this sort of like steady figurehead in the group around the Manson family and everyone. You know, he had money, he had his shit together to a point. He was going out of his way to really help all these people. Like, he was becoming friends with them. He went as far as to feed them and treat them. Give them non-garbage food. <laughs> he even helped them all make their doctor's appointment after a gonorrhea outbreak oh, spread boy. throughout the whole group. Oh, how does that happen? Well, Manson probably got gonorrhea, and then he had sex with everyone. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> oh, this this thing? Nah, this is a dumpster rash. Uh, you gotta go get tested. You get this after you do, you know, a couple weeks of diving, you get a dumpster yeah, rash. You get a dumpster rash. I've had this before. 
around this time, this is, there's a there's a famous story that Mike Love, since that book, since this book came out, Mike Love has told this story time and time again. We've seen a few different, uh, we watched a few different iterations of it. Yeah, Mike different, Love has kind of got it down. He's got his cadence down. He's got his, his main hits. He knows, yeah. He knows when people ask him about Manson, he knows what to tell. And the story that he tells is the night that him and Bruce Johnson were invited over for dinner with the Manson family at the Sunset Boulevard home. They show up. And everyone is naked, except for them. Yep. And Normal. So, Perfectly normal. You know, it's kind of weird, but, you know, they still go in. It's the 60s, you know, whatever. They're eating turkey. They go in and, They're yeah, they, they have their dinner. We don't know if it was turkey, but we like to think it was, and it probably was out of the garbage. After they finish eating, they all sort of go into the den, and Manson does his regular shtick, right? He starts handing out acid to everyone. He picks up the guitar, <laughs> and Mike Love... People are hanging off him. <laughs> People are hanging off him. Oh, he's a strobe light too. Was that part oh, of it? Too? That's important. Michael always mentions the strobe light. Turns he turns on the strobe light, light, heads out the acid, picks up the guitar. This sounds so disconcerting. We just got some new lights in our bedroom, and there's a strobe mode. And I put it on the other day, and I was like, "This is bad. I don't like this. This is making me feel bad. I don't. Why did I? Why is there a strobe option? Strobes are tough. I mean, you could become ep- epileptic at any age." It's true. One, one, one strobe too many. I knew a guy who, who, up until he was like 24, never, no signs of epilepsy. Then he watched The Matrix and it triggered his epilepsy. That's insane. Yeah. I, I don't like that. I think he's the one. Oh, he, maybe he is. He's yeah. the true Neo. The true Neo was the friend you had who watched The Matrix along the way. <laughs> so so Mike Love says he excuses himself here. He, he doesn't do acid. He, he, he got out of there. Which, honestly, I don't know if that was the right choice. I mean, in this situation, this... Yes. If there's a time to do acid. Probably not with Manson, though. No, but I feel like... 68. If you had the assurances that you weren't going to die... They didn't. Well, they didn't, but, like, they didn't... uh, They definitely didn't. You got some fucking weirdo (laughs) in the harem, okay, and they're all naked. Yeah. Maybe you're not doing acid. I don't mean this situation, but I just mean, like, a different day in 1968 when you're not with Charles Manson, and you're just, like, on the beach... But if you have like assurances like, hey, this is your first chance to do acid and it's going to be with a guy who's a notorious serial cult, serial killer cult leader. You don't know that though. I know, but if you did, that's probably the best time to do it. Well, yeah. With a strobe light and everyone's naked. What the fuck? (laughs) But this is what I also find is weird, right? Is that so Mike decides, no, it's not for me. He excuses himself and he goes and takes a shower. Now. Okay. Yeah, that one. I I heard that. Now, keep in mind, they're in Dennis's house. And it's probably a big house. And it's a big. It's got to be a big Beach Boy California mansion. Yeah, you would think. So it's not that weird, really. But it gets. It does get weird because he goes and he takes a shower, and then uh, a woman comes into the shower very quickly, and followed by Charles Manson. Yeah. Hey, what are you doing here? Hey. Oh, you. How's it going? You washing up? How's it going, man? <laughs> Can I get in there? Mike Love says that Manson came in, and he went right up to him in the shower, and he said, "You can't leave." The group. <laughs> man. Just get up and walk away, man. What the fuck? Sort of really put him on the spot right there. Him and Bruce kind of got the hell out of there after that. Pretty spooked. Apparently, Mike has said that after that, especially as things started to heat up with the Manson stuff, he started receiving phone calls from him where Manson would just say things like, Die, you fucking pig! And then I'd hang up the phone. Jesus Christ. Given what eventually happens... It does seem that like some of the Beach Boys could have easily been in the crosshairs of the whole Manson situation. <laughs> Beach Boys could have died a lot earlier. Given if they were in the, the wrong place at the wrong time, like people were in the story. 
So eventually Manson became so angry with the fact that he wasn't signed yet and he started to act more and more like a loose cannon. Like this actually was a, a bit of a a big factor in what drove Manson to losing his shit. I mean, ultimately he's, he's incredibly mentally unwell. Right? Yeah, he's like, yeah. there's a lot going on here. But one of the things that sort of made him hate society even more is that no one appreciates me, man. No one understands. I'm a genius. No one understands I'm a genius, man. It got worse and worse. There's a reported incident during the recording session that Manson had at, uh, at the Beach Boys studio where he actually pulled out a knife on the producer. And uh, after he found out that they were sort of altering his sound to make him sound a little bit more like the Beach Boys. <laughs> oh, God, what the fuck? Oh, no. What a horrible, what a horrible <laughs> punishment. I don't sound like that, man. They sound like me. <laughs> Brian started to warn Dennis about the potential that Manson had of causing even more trouble, and Dennis started to listen in. However, Dennis would put the final nail in the coffin of their friendship by recording one of Manson's songs, Cease Whoa. to Exist. That's such a bad idea. Given where, you know, you know, you, you spoiled it earlier in the episode. Said, nah, I did. You said it was coming. But now, given the context of everything that you have said here, it's just like, not a good time to do that, man. I feel like this man is extremely unstable, and you are well aware of it at this point. Keep in mind, Dennis, also very unstable. Dennis, in his own way, is very unstable. True, but didn't the rest of the Beach Boy? Um, maybe they didn't tell him. <laughs> he, <laughs> hey, guys, they got this hot new track. Yeah. He, he took one of Manson's songs called Cease to Exist, retitled it as Never Learn Not to Love. Mm, seems a little bit redundant. And put it on their B-side of their album, Bluebirds Over the Mountain. After the song was released in December of 1968, Dennis found a bullet in his bed, which he believed and was later confirmed came from Manson himself. What the fuck? Yeah, I gave him a bullet, man. Just told him what I was going to do, man. Put the bullet in his bed and walked away? (laughs) Well, uh, Manson lived there. Oh, he's still living there. Okay, all right. Sick. Uh, Eventually, though, Manson does move out of the house from the Sunset Strip, and he moves up to the famous Spawn Ranch where he began to attract more followers and develop more of his insane theories and prophecies. Now, the Spawn Ranch is the famous home of Manson and the Manson family. This is an old Western studio lot, essentially. That's where Michael Jai White it's, died. Is it? He's not dead. That's the guy who played Spawn, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay. I see what you're going for there. But he's still with us. He was in, I think, uh, Mortal Kombat, maybe. I don't know. He was in something. He was in something. Sometime in... During the June of 1969, Manson went back and found Terry Melcher. Manson was able to convince Melcher to let him audition for his label, but unfortunately for Manson, Melcher did not agree to sign him. The interaction with Melcher will eventually lead to the horrific events in the following months. Horrific events, you say? (laughs) We could just end the podcast here, but... I mean, we know what happens next. For anyone who doesn't know... (laughs) On August 8th, 1969, Manson ordered his family to brutally murder the people living at 150 Drive, Beverly Hills. I wonder what it is. It's either Cielo or Cielo. I like Cielo. Cielo. It is unknown what the original motive for the killing is, but some do believe that it was to spark the race riots that he was predicting, also known as Helter Skelter. But others did believe that it was out of the motive to either kill or spook Terry Melcher. Well, that's pretty spooky. Melcher had moved out of his home some months before the event, and he'd went to Malibu. But this was the only home that Manson knew he had, 
If it was out of revenge for his rejection, Melcher could have been a possible target for the killings. Mm. Those who participated in the killings were Susan Atkins, Linda Kasabian, Kasabian? Kasabian, I think. It sounds Armenian. Tex Watson. Oh, yeah. And Patricia Krenwinkel. God, that's a great name. One of the women that Dennis had picked up the previous year. Doesn't one of these people have a name like like, like Squiggy or something? <laughs> right? Because they all have nicknames, right? One of those named like Squiggy or Squelchy or something. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. <laughs> uh, the victims of the killings include Jay Sebring. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a Folgers. Do you want to say this too, one? Right? Uh, Wojciech Frakowski, Frakowski. And the coffee heiress Abigail Folger. Actress Sharon Tate and Stephen Parent. Now, we still drink Folgers to this day. I mean, some of us. I don't, I don't fuck with Folgers. I had some today. I bet you do. <laughs> I know you love that giant red fucking plastic. Look, whatever's on sale. Whatever's on sale, I'll take, right? If it's in the dumpster, even better. Your salmon, see, like, the... Not 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 long. I guess it is a long time ago. I decided, you know what? I'm not going to buy coffee anymore anywhere ever. So I'm going to treat myself to some whole bean. And I've been drinking freshly milled whole bean coffee for like six years. One of the best decisions I ever made. You know what? I'm going to reveal this right now. But sometimes when uh, you you never like you're never around, I just steal your beans. <laughs> this is true. You sometimes my coffee. Beans? Yeah, like a lot. Like, if we ever, like, if I stay the night, maybe we had a couple drinks, I get up in the morning and I leave, I find I go and find a little Ziploc bag and I just steal a couple scoops of beans. Because I don't have beans at home. I don't get the nice ground beans. Is this legit? Yeah. It is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I fucking love this so much. Because <laughs> this, like, is so on brand for you. Yeah, yeah. For those of you who don't know, Steve is a coffee addict. Big time. He drinks so much fucking, like, it's sickening. Too much. It's well, going to kill me. When we live together... It was me, uh, it was him and myself and another gentleman, and uh, we all were really bad coffee addicts. We would be putting on like 16, you know, like full pots of coffee at like 10 p.m. and just drinking yeah. it, taking it to straight to the dome. We're in our early 20s. I still do that. And yeah, I kind of grew out of it, but every once in a while, Steve will work with my fiance. And she'll be like, he drinks a lot of coffee. I'm like, oh, he drinks so much coffee. You will take coffee at any point. I almost, I actually, tonight I was going to have one when we recorded. But by actually my my I think my my stomach or my liver or something was hurting. <laughs> this is too much coffee. Yeah. So I decided not to. Incredible. Oh boy. So the following night after that, uh, Manson along with the gang the night from the night before went to supermarket executive Leno and Rosemary LaBianca and murdered them in cold blood. Yeah, that's right. You know why? Because these goddamn supermarkets are taking food and throwing it in dumpsters. They throw it all in the dumpster, man. And they're feeding us, but they should just give it to us. <laughs> we got to take them down for the top, man. You know, it's really sad. It's, uh, it's very tragic. The murders shot Manson and the family into international no- notoriety as their trial became one of the most watched trials in history at the time. Manson's penchant for charismatic speeches and showmanship earned him an incredible amount of fame, which uh, persisted for decades and decades to come. In fact... It can arguably be said that he did achieve his life goal of stardom, just really not did. through music. Yeah, he did it his way, like Frank Sinatra. This is also around the time when he famously uh, tattooed, has the tattooed swastika in in his forehead, in between his eye, eyebrows. People love that that tattoo. 
But what about Dennis, right? What about Dennis? So Dennis had parted ways with Manson. He went on to uh, produce his own solo album after, let's say, ejected from the Beach Boys. Excommunicated. Due to his... uh, his lifestyle and problems with Being a- addiction. With Charles Manson. <laughs> yeah, just everything, right? Hey, man, like, sorry, we love you. You're a brother. But, like, you brought that Manson guy around here for, like, two solid years. And that did not turn out good. And we just cannot trust your judgment anymore. In an interview with Rolling Stone at the time, he said he was fired from the band uh, abruptly. And the brothers would not talk to him. Dennis continued to play music into the 70s, but was soon overtaken with drug addictions. He never really spoke publicly about Manson ever again and avoided questions about it. Dennis eventually became destitute, uh, losing his home and even living on the streets. Now, he didn't speak of it, but Manson went on to speak of it, and Mike Love went on to speak of it. Dennis is a good and guy. Brian, <laughs> man, good me guy. and Dennis used to like, oh, we would just play guy. Super Smash Brothers all day long, oh, man. Fuck. He had this thing where he fucking take a hit of acid and he'd scream into his pillow. I really liked that movie. <laughs> that was a good bit. I love that. He had the best strobe light. In all of Southern California. That thing would clip so fast. <laughs> On December 28th, 1983, after checking himself into a series of rehab clinics and hospitals, Dennis drunkenly dove into the ocean at Marina Del Rey. This is incredible. Appar- I love this. Apparently to look for the stuff he'd thrown in there the year before. I love this. Which paint, are paint the picture. His ex-wife's <laughs> belongings. He's just hammered at Marina it's not, Del Rey. It's sad. But, yeah. I last last year. I gotta get my wife's I ring. I threw that horse fucking shit in the ocean. Oh God, I miss her. Oh God, do you think if I found he, the shirt, if I found the blouse, she would take me back? I could go look, get that blouse. He died. Okay, he drowned. See you later. And his body was recovered by the Coast Guard on January fourth. Now, just to make Tyler's whole bit here a little more palatable, Dennis is a notorious womanizer. He was very unkind to his wives, his girlfriends. Good, uh, good. Yeah, you're you're in the I'm clear. Safe. Yeah, you're safe. But he uh, was a noted, noted philanthropist and gave all of his millions away he, to charity he, he upon wasn't, death. No, no, he in fact scooped out his own eyeballs so he could say, "Look at this. Look at. I am Murray Junior. I merge you." Uh, for Dennis's funeral, he was actually given a bur- a burial at sea. <laughs> they put him out in a boat and they fired arrows at it, flaming arrows. <laughs> Oh, I thought you were going to say, well, because he was already out there. Oh, that's a good one, too. Shit. Missed my opportunity. Um, but this is important to know because only personnel in the Coast Guard or military are actually allowed to bury, let's see. But President Ronald Reagan interjected and allowed this to happen. That's fucking wild. He loves the Beach Boys. All right, that makes sense. He's a California boy. He's, uh, you know, a misguided human being who is used as a tool by corporations to increase their power and dominion over us. But he was a California boy. But Reaganomics. Yeah, those were great. That really worked out. <laughs> I'm really feeling that trickle down. I didn't fuck anyone over. Fucking stream of piss from the top. One thing I think that is important to note with this whole tale of the Beach Boys is that as... Hitchhiking as, is cool. And you should always <laughs> pick up hitchhiking. And eating out of dumpsters. But as we said at the top, I mean, this is such a grim and sad tale overall. And there is even parts that we're leaving out here. I mean, it's across the whole band. There's so many sad tales. But they managed to keep these happy California surf songs going for us the whole time. Keep the positive vibes, the good vibrations. The good vibrations. Right? Lots of people who were associated with Charles Manson ended up having great careers. You know, like like Steven Spielberg. Send us an email at 
wktrspod at gmail.com if you have anything to add to any of these episodes, if you have any topics, any suggestions you'd like us to cover. Yeah, and check out our new podcast coming in the spring of 2023. <laughs> Here we go. Called POD Cast, where we discuss <laughs> the discography of Payable Upon Payable on Death, I think is what POD stands for. <laughs> is it really? We're going through all the hits. But uh, to stay tuned for that, it's going to be on the alternate feed. Um, it's, uh, I think it's really going to launch us into the next level. Pancakes on delivery. Ooh, we should get some pancakes. Thank you for listening, and we will see you again next week. Thank you.